This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of five-hour energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Calm. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox uh-huh. podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you this time without Andy Bailey, but we are very fortunate to be joined by Brian Sampson of our own MBA Math and also of the Dunking with Wolves blog for Fansided. He is also a Milwaukee Bucks expert, so he has been kind enough to jump on, and he's going to talk to us about the 2017 and 2018 Bucks, who, while not very active over the offseason, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so let's just get started with how are you doing tonight, Brian, aside from the fact that we are now, this is our fourth attempt at getting into the introduction of this podcast, I think. Well, I'm going to remove the we out of that. I'm going to say this is your fourth attempt. I've actually have not got a word in yet. So, Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. Here are a few quick divorce tips that we provide our clients. Number one, don't move out of your house just because your wife tells you to. Remember, that's your house too. And number two, don't blow through the financial statements that you file with the court. These are key exhibits, and they often make or break your case. And number three, watch the social networking. Expect your wife's lawyer to do a thorough online search. And incidentally, this is a two-way street. Now a bonus tip. Partner with your attorney in assembling evidence. You're one of the two leading experts on your life and marriage. Your attorney needs your input to achieve your goals. And finally, talk to your attorney before taking action. Good luck. Contact Cordell and Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on, online at CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn licensed in California. Yeah, fourth attempt, but we're good now. We're good to go, and I'm excited to talk about the Bucks because, as you said, I'm the dunking with wolves expert, but I'm born and raised in, in Wisconsin, and so I hardly get to talk about... Milwaukee here especially now that I live in Minnesota so I'm ready to go to talk bucks yes and that was a good disclaimer I was the one who just kept screwing up (laughs) now so since you're from Wisconsin Giannis Antetokounmpo is basically your son that's just I wish like innate connection to him now right yeah is that a new saying now saying players are our sons I'm I'm not up to date on that I've never I'm I'm late to the party but I'm the least hip person you will ever meet so I'm gonna go out on a limb and say if it ever was a saying it was probably a decade ago um but 
Giannis Antetokounmpo is a good place to start, but I, I guess more general as I've been starting these podcasts off. What are was your impression of how the Bucks' off season unfolded? I think it went as we all expected. They had zero money to spend. Tony Snell was their only real free agent of concern, and he was resigned for a pretty decent deal. He got four years, forty-four million, which is probably right about what's to be expected for a guy who had a career year and shot so well from downtown. I mean, he dropped 40% from the three-point line, so I think that's about what's to be expected. Otherwise, I mean, there's no chance in hell that Spencer Hawes was going to opt out. Greg Monroe is kind of iffy, but there's no way he would have got $17 million on the free agent market. So I think that the offseason played, you know, played the part of whatever everyone was expecting. Do they get better? But first of all, that Tony Snell deal, I, I thought it was fantastic. It was done quickly, and even in that market crunch, uh, what did he end up getting? Four years and $46 million? I still think that looks really good, especially when you kind of weigh it against Joe Ingles getting four fifty-two. Those guys might be kind of on the same level, even if Ingles is a little bit better. Uh, once Tim Hardaway Jr. got $71 million from the dumbass New York Knicks, that kind of made Tony Snell's deal look a hell of a lot better. But... I thought I thought that was good value, and the fact that they got it done early was, I just thought, a solid move. And Tony Snell's an interesting player because he probably will shoot close to, if not better, from three-point range. Uh, and the defensive metrics, they don't all love him, but he seems to, and I know this is a cliche, but he seems like he plays his butt off on that end of the floor, and that's just a good guy to have, someone who doesn't need the ball on offense when you have some of these other ball handlers or even a ball dominant big like Greg Monroe so I I just I was a big fan of of that siding even though it doesn't even look like there was this huge market for him but the fact that they got it done early is something I just loved yeah I think that was huge he's coming off a career year so I see a little bit of a risk there I mean he just shot the lights out of the ball 40 percent that was his career high so I I see him coming down a little bit maybe back down to like 38 percent from the three-point line which is a bit of a risk but for me, he's playing out of position, not out of position, but a level up than what he should be last year. Um, he was playing as that second wing behind Jabari for most of the year. And then when Jabari came back and he got hurt, Chris Middleton stepped in. And so, I mean, the, the hope is that for the majority of Tony Snell's contract, he'll be the first wing off the bench with Middleton and Parker starting in those spots. And so he's, he'll be a good second wing here until Parker gets healthy, but then hopefully uh, the Bucks can keep Jabari Parker and Tony Snell will slide to the bench where I think he'll thrive a lot better. And like you said, he plays his butt off on defense. He gave it, he gives it his all. He got worked by DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs. That was kind of bad to watch. I mean, DeRozan knew that he could score on him anytime that he wanted, especially when the Raptors went on their run to, to reclaim the series and, and to take the series. But he plays hard. He knows his role. He doesn't force... You know, he's not going to force more than what he can handle. He's not going to go and take these crazy shots. He's going to roam the perimeters, find the corners, and and knock down some open three-pointers. It's interesting that you talk about Jabari Parker because, one, he's going to be a restricted free agent after next year. There's no way I would be floored if he gets an extension because now he's recovering from his second ACL injury. What do you do there? Like, What is the hope at this point? Because I think you can make the case, and it, you don't even need to make the case. It's just a fact. They're a lot better defensively without Jabari Parker on the floor. And I'm not sure in today's NBA that he gives you 
enough of an advantage even on offense to say that he's worth all this money or necessarily needs to be a part of the Bucks' big picture. I get that having that extra shot creator is huge for them, especially with how bad Matthew Delvadova was last year. Like that was just frighteningly terrible the way he played. But I I just wonder, I like, especially with the direction the NBA is headed, I kind of like the idea of playing a lot of minutes with Brogdon and, and Giannis and Middleton, and you have Don Maker out there, and you also have Snell. That lineup, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, but that lineup was fire in the time that it was on the court, and I, I just question, I know they haven't seen a lot of Jabari Parker either, but that's kind of part of the problem. I just question his long-term fit within this core. I think it's unfair to judge Gabari right now. He's last year, I think was our only true look at him and he was still what, 21 years old. And so he's far from a finished product. And now with this second major knee injury, I don't think he'll ever get to what he was going to be. But last year is basically his second year in the league. And, and even then I think he's Jason Kidd does this really awesome thing where he has players focus on one skill at a time. Um, especially on the offensive end. He did that with Giannis. He brought him along really slowly. I mean, there's a year or two there where he wouldn't let Giannis shoot threes at all, and and I think that really paid off. And so Jason Kidd does a great thing with his young players of focusing on one skill per year, and, and that pays off long-term. And so for Jabari, I'd like to give him another chance. I'd like to see him come back for another couple of years. But, yeah, I don't think that there's any way – the Bucks would be able to give him a long-term deal, especially with all the other contracts on their roster. That's just too much of a risk. Um, but Parker, he was making huge strides last year. I mean, there aren't very many guys who can drop 20 points per game, and he, he's one of them. And so I think that just bringing that is a nice value, especially to a team that lacks other consistent scores, um, especially when Chris Middleton was out all throughout last year. So I'd like to see him come back for another couple of years, but at the same time, he might need a fresh start and new in a new home. Um, so we'll see how that all gets worked out here. He'll, he should be back around February, I think is when he's playing and they'll probably bring him along even slower than they did last time. And so we'll kind of see how that plays out. But if he has any setbacks so far, the last thing I saw was that he's doing great. Um, he still isn't saying when he'll be back, but by all means we expect it to be around February. I will kind of say, and I don't think his offensive value was really up for question and again i think having another shot creator like him is big for them i liked he seemed to get to the rim a lot last year and he was finishing okay his three-point percentage you know we can talk about it was a fairly substantial sample size he played in 51 games and cleared 1700 minutes his three-point percentage was there at a career high too so i think those are all good good signs the the question for me though with him is you need him to i think have to play the he has to play the four at this point the experimenting with him at small forward you can probably get by on offense but I don't know what lineups you run out to make it work on defense and I think ideally even in today's NBA you'd probably like to get some minutes at the five from him and he certainly isn't going to be the rim protector or the defender to kind of handle that and that that's why it's interesting because I, I do think he can be valuable to this team and it probably helps that the the market isn't going to finish correcting itself next summer when we get to free agency from that overspending craze in 2016 so maybe you know his cap holds over 20 million next year there's i don't think there's a team including the bucks that would give him even close to that much maybe you overpay him on a a one plus one deal or something or i don't know what happens it would be worth it for the right price but i would wonder if the the bucks would kind of have the guts to to pass on this guy who was a number two pick 
um, if he does get that large offer. That that's going to be very fascinating to me. Yeah. I want to touch quick on defensively. The The Bucks are one of the many teams who, with Jabari out there, they have a lot of different options with their length. I mean, Giannis, him and Giannis earlier in the year, um, they'd depending on the matchup, Jabari Parker would typically guard like one of the bigger fours and let Giannis maybe take the more athletic threes. But then after Jabari got hurt, I feel like the Bucks defense took a nice step up when they would just basically put Giannis as the center on defense he'd guard the big man he'd control the paint he'd protect the rim and so that was really interesting I don't think you can do that with Jabari Parker out there on the floor but with the Bucks length they have a lot of different options where they can play night-to-night matchups and really try to hide Jabari on a team's uh, least effective offensive player and so I think if there's one team in the NBA who can hide Jabari the most on defense it would be Milwaukee just because of all the different matchups that their length offers them um, to play with the other team. I think he'd probably be fine if you have three of Atentacumpo, Brogdon, Snell, and Middleton on the floor at all times because that's where you get your most options. You don't have to have all four of them, although that lineup might be uh, ridiculous on both ends of the floor if given time. But having three of those four guys, that allows you to cover up in a lot of areas. I guess the bigger concern would be this probably isn't a guy that you want to try carrying your offense alone when Atentacumpo is not on the floor because he can do it. But if you're removing Giannis from the rotation, uh, that's going to be one of the guys who can help cover up for him. And so I don't know that he'll ever able to be able to be this plus when he's a, he's a solo act, unless you're going to bring him off the bench, which I don't, you're not going to slot him in that Greg Monroe role, especially if you have to pay him next summer. So I guess it's tough to get a read on. I was just curious what you thought about it because I've, I'm enamored with it just because his career arc when he's been on the floor, especially last season, it was a lot of fun to watch offensively, but what do you do with what you've seen and what you know about his health and the kind of lack of progress or lack of options you've been given on defense when he's on the floor sometimes? Yeah. The the one year prove it deal would make the most sense to me one year, maybe around 10 million or so just to see where he's at. And then that gives him the opportunity to cash in big after next summer, if he comes back strong. Um, and if he doesn't, then the Bucks can walk away scotch free as well. Yeah, if it's gonna, if he's willing to do a one year deal, you pay him whatever. Maybe not whatever, but you can pay him his max, his cap hold, twenty plus million dollars because it's you have to worry about your tax bill at that point. But it's one year, and that's your commitment. I will just be interested to see what he gets. And an interesting wrinkle is you say. As, as you said, because it has been around, there was a lot of people talking January for his return. There's February. If he can get back before March or maybe right around March and he still has, you know, 20 or if he can get to 20 or 25 games and he plays really well or if they get to the playoffs and he's instrumental in doing anything, that almost makes his free agency case that much harder because now you're working from this point of, holy crap, he just did all of this, but it was for a quarter of a season. Whereas if he struggled and it was like, well, this is just normal, he's come back from injury, that might actually make your decision or the negotiating process that much easier. And it only takes one team. I mean, it just takes one team to come in there, see something different, and make an offer that nobody else is willing to touch, that the Bucks don't want right. any part of. And so there are 29 other teams out there, and so who knows if someone like the Brooklyn Nets or somebody like that would, would take a chance on him and just make an offer that no one else will touch, multi-year, lots of lots of money. So it just takes one team out there to see something different. Now, I guess, who are you on the roster? Because it's not, it's not going to be Jabari, at least not for the first half to three quarters of the season. 
who do you consider Milwaukee's number two at this point? Is it Middleton? And I don't know if, if you see me on Twitter or anything I write, I just love Chris Middleton. Is is he is he the guy? Like is he the clear cut number two on this team? He is the clear cut number two. Two years ago, when he was healthy for the whole season, he was better than Giannis. People forget that, um, and so he's by far the number two option. And he, when he's healthy this whole year, he'll provide a huge lift for the Bucks. He averaged eighteen points a game a couple of years ago, and he's a great playmaker. So he'll take some of that responsibility off Giannis as well. And so he's he's by far, he'll carry, hopefully Jason Kidd staggers the lineup where it's at least one of Middleton or Giannis in at all times. And so Middleton, he'll he'll be that number two that the Bucks I think, lacked during the playoffs last year. I know Middleton really struggled in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, he's going to be that clear number two. He's, you know, a, a great, he can do everything basically. He can defend, he can rebound a little, he can... Uh, play make he can score he can post up outside shots mid-range you know he can do a little bit of everything and so I think that he'll provide a huge lift and especially with the whole offseason now of healthy working on his shot working on his game um, right now he's going to be rounding right into his prime here he's 26 years old and so I expect him to take another step up from what we saw two years ago do you think he's uh, one of the concerns people had when they were throwing out theoretical, probably from the Cavaliers' perspective, theoretical trades for Kyrie Irving going to the Bucks. And I personally think Milwaukee should be thankful if that report that they offered Brogdon and Middleton at a pick, I think they should be thankful Cleveland didn't accept that. But anyway, one of the concerns was, is he going to be the guy that can kind of create his own shot or, or enter attack mode? And, and there's always been these times where it seems like he either passes without even dribbling or he just settles for a three when you'd like to see him attack these closeouts. And it it sometimes feels like he doesn't – he's not inefficient when he drives. I think last season he shot like 45% off of drives, but he attempted two, a little bit more than two field goals a game in those situations on the move. Uh, Is that an actual concern from him, that attack mode, or do you think that's just more of a function of his role – in part around Giannis Antetokounmpo, but what the rest of the the offense is doing. I think the offense in general is a mess. They don't run very many efficient sets, and then I think you see Middleton um, being a victim of that inefficient offense. And they they run a lot of plays. They run old school offense basically, and and Middleton I think is a victim of that. And so I'm not too worried about it though. He's He'll get back into it, especially now with Giannis blossoming. Everyone expects Giannis to take yet another step going into next season. And so Giannis will take a lot of that uh, weight and pressure off of Middleton from before. Because before Middleton was the goal guy, the go-to guy where Giannis was still developing. And so now Middleton will slide perfectly into that second scorer role. And I think that will be a huge weight off his shoulders. Not all the defensive attention will be on him. He won't be asked to create and score everything. And then especially with the ascension of Malcolm Brogdon and hopefully Tony Snell can continue to play. Hopefully Thon Maker takes a step up. And so it's going to be a whole different team around him. He'll have other guys who can score and who he can rely on to keep some of the defensive attention or to knock down open shots when they're there. And so I think that Middleton will be, um, will be a benefactor of a better team around him. than basically the last time he was on the floor and was healthy two years ago. 
I'll tell you that five-year, seventy million dollar deal he signed is aging better than Greg Popovich's oh, yeah. wine collection. That <laughs> that that's one of the best contracts in the NBA right now, hands down. And it's descending too. It's getting cheaper every year. Right. Well, he has he has two years left, but next year he'll be getting paid. I think what is it, thirteen million dollars? And so, that's that's crazy. Uh, for what he does, especially in today's league, it's fantastic. And it was. The, the way he came back, too, was just impressive because he was still really good last year, and he was coming back from a torn hamstring. Like, that's not a joke. And he, it, you know, there, I guess there were things that people saw, and it, there were times where it looked like, again, where he wasn't willing to put the ball on the floor when he should have, but we don't know if that's just a mindset thing or if that had anything to do with his injury. He still shot the hell out of the ball. Uh, he was pretty good defensively. He's just – and he's, he's – an underrated playmaker it's like you said he has the ability to kind of if you look at those on off numbers with him without Giannis on the floor the Bucks' offense is still surviving I don't know if you'd say it's thriving but it's surviving and and that's a big deal I think that Middleton didn't wasn't ever able to get his legs back wasn't ever able to truly get his legs back last year you saw a lot of shots hitting the front of the rim they were straight on they were dead on but they'd hit the front of the rim and as a as a basketball player, that's a sign that you know you just don't have your legs back yet. And because he was lining his shots up, he was getting decent looks, but just front of the rim, front of the rim, front of the rim. And so I expect that to be a, a lot different now that he'll have a full off season to be able to get his conditioning back, to be able to get his hamstring back to 100. percent And and I expect that to be a lot and a lot more improved for Chris Middleton this year. What do you think about? Malcolm Brogdon's encore to his rookie of the year campaign. Do you think they give him maybe more offensive responsibility? Because I know there are times where he kind of struggled when he was running pick and rolls, even though he defended the heck out of those things on defense. It seems like you didn't add a playmaker this year. If, if you want to count a fully healthy Middleton, that helps, but you lost your Barry Parker. So that you're down one playmaker there. And Matthew Delvadova is just not, he's just not good. You got to leave Delhi alone. I, I like Delhi, but we'll get to him in a second. So as far as your question about Brogdon is, last year what we saw in Brogdon, I think that's what he's going to be for the next four or five years. I don't see much improvement in his game. He really, really, really got exposed in the playoffs. Larry, granted, Larry's a top maybe five point guard, would you say? Um, and so Larry just went to town on him, even through those couple injuries that he had. And so that that worries me is that Brogdon had a whole series against one of the best point guards and did nothing but get worse as the series went on. And so I'm a little bit worried about that, but I don't see Brogdon taking a huge step. I mean, if he shoots 40% from the three-point line next year, I think that would be awesome. I don't know if, he, if that's sustainable, um, but I th- as long as Brogdon can continue the role that he was last year, that's all that the Bucks need from him. He's not supposed to be a primary ball handler he can share the duties with Middleton and with Giannis and so I think that in in and of itself will be helpful and I I hope that another year helps him improve on the pick and roll because he was brutal in the pick and roll last season and so hopefully another year dissecting that will be helpful I don't know how how many pick and rolls he ran at Virginia Um, and so hopefully another year with that play and the bucks in and of themselves don't run too many pick and rolls. So that's a play that as a team, they were one of the worst teams in pick and roll basketball last season. And so hopefully he can take that step as a player and get more comfortable with the players around him as well. Yeah. You would like to see them run more pick and rolls, especially when Giannis is not on the floor because the whole just create model 
so to speak, isn't going to work too well when he's not there. Um, and I would be interested to see more of the Brogdon-Middleton combination when Giannis isn't playing. Uh, I remember seeing some minutes like that last year, and the offense just looked – they were going up against a lot of second units or some second unit players, but the offense just looked amazing with the two of them on the floor and creating that advantage. So I would be interesting to see if Kid, given the whole season, assuming both of them remain healthy, kind of leveraging that duo when Giannis isn't on the floor to bridge those gaps when he takes a seat. To flip that a little bit, too, I think that Giannis is a ball handler running a pick and roll with Brogdon would be something interesting to see. Um, Brogdon obviously would pot more than he would roll, but what are you going to do with Giannis? He's probably going to have a big man on him, so if they do switch the screen, Giannis is going to go down low and post up the point guard. Or if they struggle to fight through it, then hopefully Brogdon can pop to the three-point line and hit a shot for that split second that he's open. So that would be interesting to see is to put Giannis more into that ball handler role. Um, or even Giannis as the role man, because he killed it last year as the role man. So just anything to mix up more screens, to mix up more action would be helpful for this Bucks offense. Now make your case to me for Matthew Delvadova. I think he might be, he's, he's kind of fun as like the novel scrappy guy and watching him defend sometimes. It's, I'm hesitant to use this, so I'm actually not going to say what I was going to say, but it's fun to watch him play defense at points. I just don't, I, I don't see it on the offensive end, and I, I think there were even times where the numbers said that the offense was okay uh, when he was kind of the solo playmaker on the floor. I just His finishing around the rim and some of his decision-making out of uh, just simple sets and you know when the Bucks aren't running a ton of pick-and-rolls and he's not able to capitalize necessarily on the ones that they are running, I, just, I, I was not impressed at least for last season uh, by any means. So first things first is he's miscast as a starting point guard. He is not a starting point guard, and so I think that hurt him. He's used to thriving as that second or even third guard off the bench. Obviously, Milwaukee signed him to that contract not to be a third point guard off the bench, but as the backup, that's going to be where he thrives at. And so having Malcolm Brogdon now step into that full-time starting role will do nothing but benefit him. He'll be going against the team's second unit, and so that will be helpful. And and. The biggest thing for me is I see a positive a positive regression, if you will, back to his mean three-point shooting percentage. Last year, he shot the worst that he ever has in his career. He knocked down only 30, I say only 36% of his three-pointers, but that's the worst of his four years in the in the NBA. And so I, I see that as coming up. Um, I mean, for two years in Cleveland, he shot 40% or better. So I see that number in and of, in and of itself creeping back up towards the 40% mark, which which will be helpful to this Bucks offense to provide some more of that spread. I agree with you, though, that his floaters around the rim were awful. I mean, there was, I think fans on Twitter were counting how many times he'd missed those floaters. And, and that part, that's always going to be there. He's always struggled with that. I think that what, one part that I like best about him is his scrappiness, and he'll get into another team's into their personal space, you know, get them worked up. You saw against the Raptors a couple of times in the playoffs, he was, him and Laurie were going at it and he really had Laurie on the fence there a couple of times. So I, I like that part about his game. But for me, it's just the biggest part is his shooting is going to come back to what he showed the first three years of his career. Um, and so that's why I think, and I'm willing to give him a pass for last year to see how he's going to rebound now in his second year in Milwaukee. I will say I'm willing to give any point guard who can play off the ball on offense very well a second chance. So you might have swayed me there. And he did shoot 43-plus percent from March 1st on from beyond the arc. So 
like you said, that's kind of a – or no, it wasn't March. I think it was his last 20 or 21 games or something like that. I was looking that up before the start of the podcast. So the fact that he was at that, that number probably isn't sustainable. But like you said, he was kind of a flamethrower at times in, in Cleveland. And you don't have LeBron there, but Giannis has that similar gravitational pull. So maybe maybe there, maybe there is hope. I'm sure no one will ever like his contract, but I was – I thought he was really, really bad last season. And I, even just looking at it through the scope of a backup where he kind of did improve a little bit when Brogdon took over uh, as the starter. I don't even know when that officially happened. It probably should have happened in November, um, but didn't. So I, I guess I, maybe you talk me into it. I'm just still I'm, I'm lukewarm on his chances of having sort of a deli renaissance. You're right, though. He was awful last year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. He was just purely he was bad, and I just hope that he can't be awful two years in a row. What's the bench going to look like for this team? We we know who's going to be a part of it, but what, what are they going to be competent on defense? Because it really doesn't look like it. You know, you have Matthew Delvadova, so he might be a plus on most nights defensively. Yeah, Mirsa Teletovic. Greg Monroe was actually, I thought, sneaky good defensively last year. Dude has really quick hands. Um, I, I don't know that John Henson will ever be that consistent rim protector. Spencer Haas isn't going to give you anything on, on the defensive end. I'm curious to see how much DJ Wilson even plays under a kid. He's, you know, you talked about some of the things you might have liked about the, the way he developed Jabari Parker, but some of his moves have also, and we go back to Thon Maker, have, have been questionable as well too so I'm, I'm very interested in all of that the bench is going to be extremely weird to predict they have four centers on their roster and so there'll be some combination of Monroe Henson Hawes playing the center uh, each night depending on matchups I mean hopefully Monroe gets the majority of those minutes because he was sneaky good on defense last year he he has done a great job of sacrificing for this team and really sliding into that six-man roll off the bench flawlessly. So I think that's huge, and that's exactly what this team needed. And and so that center position, there'll be some nights. I mean, John Henson, what? why did they sign him to that contract? I mean, he's just fresh into it. He still has three years left and $31 million, and that's just nasty. They're never going to be able to move him without giving up a first-round pick. So that they'll, they're big man. They'll fill that out. Haas? Hopefully he sees very little of the floor, but there's not many other options right there. Toledovich, he's another guy that I think, you know, might come back to his normal career. Looking at his at his career, he shot off he shot awful his first year from three point line. Then he was good his second year. Then he was awful his third, and then he was good his fourth year. And then he was awful last year in Milwaukee. So hopefully he keeps that pattern going. But if he's not hitting shots, he doesn't bring anything because he sucks at defense as well. And so. There's just lots of question marks on the bench. At, they don't have any backup wings. I mean, DJ Wilson, he's a power forward, but he's so inconsistent at at Michigan. How is he going to be expected to step into an NBA role when, as a junior at Michigan, he wasn't even able to play consistent, played consistently well? Um, Rashad Vaughn, I don't know if you want him playing a lot of minutes of the shooting guard spot. The best case, I think, is that in Sterling Brown, they found Malcolm Brogdon 2.0. So hopefully Sterling Brown can show a little something to earn some minutes. Otherwise, yeah, it's going to be relying heavily on that starting lineup and then some mixture. I mean, they'll probably go with Brogdon and Delhi a lot in the backcourt given Brogdon 6.5 and Delhi 6.4. They'll be able to match up some, and so you'll see a little bit of that. Um, but 
Otherwise, I think he'll just be playing the matchups, which worries me a little bit because Jason Kidd has been so strict in his rotations. You saw a lot last year with Don Maker starting for the first couple minutes, and we talked about a little talked about this a little before coming on the podcast. Is Don Maker would basically play a couple minutes and then come out, and even if he had two blocks and four dunks in that two minutes, Kidd stuck to his rotation, stuck to it by the book, and would pull him anyway. And so, as a player, we hate to see that because we you know, there's no extra incentive then to play hard. So hopefully Kid can come out of his rotation a little bit more and just play it play it by ear, see how matchups are going, see what players bring it each night. Um, so, I, I mean, their bench will be interesting. We'll see what they can get. Hopefully there'll be a surprise contributor in there somewhere. Who, I guess two things. It's You made a good point about Toledovich. To shoot 39-plus percent with the Suns the year before and then to come to Milwaukee and shoot worse was just bizarre. That was just one of the more bizarre things to experience. And and the other thing, who gets minutes first? Is it going to be? I'm I'm not sure if I'm still prepared to die on Rashad Vaughn Hill, but Vaughn Hill, I might, I might get there. But who gets minutes first, him or Sterling Brown? I think Rashad Vaughn gets the first crack at it. He's proven that he can be – I almost said he's proven that he can be somewhat successful, but I want to take that back. He's he had a couple of games in the NBA – Yep. Yeah. Early last year, he had a game where off the cuff, I want to say he dropped like 20 points. And so I thought that was going to be his kicking off point. So he can get into that. And he's still young. I mean, he's going into his third year and he's what, 21 years old. And so he's still young. Who knows if he took a jump over the summer, but I think Rashad Vaughn will get the first crack at it just because he has some NBA experience and he, Rumor has it that Jason Kidd vetoed Bobby Portis and drafted Rashad Vaughn instead. So he seems to be a kid guy, so I think he'll get first crack at it. There was I think I remember the game you were talking about with him. I think it was it was the second or third game of the season and they were against the Nets and he shot like made like six three pointers and it just looked like I think I might have even tweeted that night, uh, this is gonna be the year of Rashad Vaughn. So he was just he seems to have that offensive <laughs> potential, but his 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 three point swings are wild. Like, they're just, they're wild. You know, he'll go 6 of 12 one night in that game, or he'll, you know, make all of his makes, 2 of 3, uh, 3 of 6, but then he'll go 0 of 4, or, or he'll just have these really bad stretches where it's a bunch of 1 of 4s and 1 of 3s mixed in through consecutive and three straight games. So I still kind of have hope for him. I like the Sterling Brown pick, too. Uh, and this is kind of mm-hmm. the understated benefit, though, of having Jabari, is because if you put him in the starting lineup all of a sudden it opens up Snell to come off the bench, and now he's that anchor wing. You know, you're not going to run the offense through him or anything, but he's certainly going to help you on the defensive end. Yeah, exactly. That's because then everyone bumps down a spot on the wing, which is the Bucks' least, uh, I guess they have the least depth on the wing. So, yeah, having Jabari back, then it bumps everyone down a notch, kind of like with the Wolves having uh, Jimmy Butler in there, it bumps Andrew Wiggins down a notch. And it was the set yeah, you're dead on. I was I'm looking at the game log for Rashad Vaughn, second game of the year against Brooklyn. He had twenty two points at six of twelve from three point line. Yeah, I remember I went all fanboy on that game when he when he went off. I thought it like <laughs> proved my point, but he ended up having a really bad season or could could barely see the floor anyway. And it's interesting that and this is gonna be a great segue into Thon Maker. Uh, or is it is it how do we pronounce it now? Is it McCurr? Wasn't I this think an it's issue? still maker. It's, I'm calling a maker, but I'm pretty sure I don't, it was. 
I'm pre- Howard Beck at Bleach Report wrote a piece about Thon Maker, and it was fantastic. And I think there was something about the pronunciation of his name, and it's McCur or McCur. I don't, I don't even remember what it was now. Um, I'm gonna call him Maker because it's easier to pronounce, or we can call him Thon too because I don't want to offend him. But it's, it's, it's interesting, or it's bad, or it's just unfortunate that the Bucks don't have a lot of wing depth because that's gonna take away from them being able to run. One of the best baby death squads in the NBA, I think, on paper. If you kind of look at uh, the starting lineup where you had Maker getting those quick hooks, you had Giannis, you had Brogdon, you had Middleton, Snell, and Maker. They played 135 minutes last year, and they blitzed opponents by 11.9 points per 100 possessions. Their turnover rate was spectacular. They had a fantastic true shooting percentage. 135 minutes is 135 minutes. I know, I know that, but... That lineup was fun as heck to watch, and I'm, I'm curious, what do you see for Thon this year, and do you think that, at the bare minimum to start, that we're going to see Jason Kidd kind of let it ride a little bit more with that opening five, given the results that he received from them last season in limited action? Yeah, Thon Maker is going to be very interesting. He very well could take a huge step in his development this year, or he very well could, you know, stay, stay the same. And so we'll see. There's, there's a lot of room for him to, you know, a lot of different variables and a lot of different outcomes for this upcoming season as a Bucks fan. Hopefully he takes that step and becomes a reliable contributor. I think it's unrealistic to expect him to be a great player or even a good player, but if he can become an average an average player next season, I think that will go a long way. His rebounding, to me, is the biggest area that he needs to work on. I mean, for being seven-one, he routinely would get boxed out of the out of the lane. He routinely get pushed around by other big men, and that comes. I mean, I think he was like a little over two hundred pounds, I would guess, and so that comes with with him adding muscle and him adding weight as he gets older. And so for me, that that rebounding is going to be the biggest part because if you're trotting out a team with Giannis at the four, you're going to need somebody else to help him out with the rebounding. And so that's going to be the biggest part. That's one of the kind of underrated parts of the box score that people don't always realize is can he secure those defensive rebounds. And so that'll, that'll be a key part. And, and he needs to learn how to play under control. He averaged 5.4 fouls per 36 minutes. And a lot of them guys would be going up for easy dunks and he'd go all out, which you can't blame him for playing hard, but then it'd be a silly follow where he taps them on their head and they finish the end one dunk. And so he's got to learn, especially in the NBA, when you're going up against athletes every single night is sometimes you just got to give them up, give up the easy baskets and, you know, you live to play another foul. And so That'll come with him getting experience. I, I love his hustle. I love his potential from the three-point line. I mean, oh, that's yeah. freaking awesome that that he might be able to be, you know, a 36% three-point shooter consistently. I know last year he was around that, but if you increase his, ta- his three-point attempts to maybe two, two and a half a game and he can still shoot 36 37%, that, that's a huge weapon for the Bucks who are, who are kind of challenged um, in spacing-wise. So... The sky's the limit for Thon Maker. Um, we'll see what he can bring to the table next year. It's the the rebounding stuff is going to be tough, and I say a, a lot of the same with Kristaps Porzingis. Is sometimes it's just hard for guys of, of their length and just height. They're they're just so lanky to to add weight. And I Thon was listed. I think it says at two hundred and sixteen pounds last year, and I, I refuse to believe that that's how much he weighed. <laughs> I refuse to believe it. 
Yeah, maybe with all his clothes on, soaking wet, <laughs> practice warm-ups, all that stuff. Yeah, with like 10-pound hand weights in his pockets, totally. Um, <laughs> did... it, it was bad, though. He would get pushed around all the time. I mean, it, he, he fought hard, but you can only do so much I when mean, you're that little. He looked like a spaghetti noodle. It's, I, there's just no other way to uh... – and, and he shot 37.8% from three, and you know we're talking less than 75% uh, – excuse me, less than 75 attempts. But you're right, that is promising because you get a big like that – who can shoot, and he's going to, just by virtue of his length, even if he's going to get out-muscled in, in the paint, he's going to get you blocks, and he showed he'll get you some blocks last year. Uh, and you're, I think you were right to point out the under-control stuff. I'm interested to see how he might develop as, I don't think he'll ever have this legitimate post-game, and they're definitely, first of all, the NBA is not really going in that direction, but I don't know if you test it. When is he going to be strong enough to do that? But to, to kind of look at his off the dribble game to have a guy of, of that length. And it, it seems like he moves. There are some times where you have these guys where their releases or, or their movements or their, their handles, they just look unnatural that like it takes, it's so calculated or it's so slow or it just doesn't look right. His, his motions at times anyway, seem very fluid and don't look like mm-hmm. that. They're necessarily going to be come a problem where he's not releasing the ball fast enough or his handle isn't tight enough, or he doesn't have his arm at the right angle when he goes to put the ball on the floor. Yeah, I agree. And as far as the under control stuff, I think that Greg Monroe will help him in that category. He can prove his provide that mentorship for a young Thon Maker because you know Greg Monroe is not trying to go up and block everyone. So hopefully, he can provide some of that mentorship for Thon Maker. DJ Wilson uh, seems like what is this the the third time in five years or fourth time in six years that the Bucks have made kind of a reach in the first round. What did you uh-huh. think of, of that pick? You know, now we have another kind of lengthy big on the roster, and it's not a bad model to go with because these are bigs that now look like – we talk about power forwards who are glorified wings. You just have these – even centers now, They just they're, some of them are glorified wings like Don Maker. So I thought that was an interesting pick. I don't – I didn't see much of him. Well, he was in school uh, at Michigan, but I, I I was almost a fan of the reach just because, one, I saw that he shot well from three-point range in his final season on pretty high volume considering. Like, it just jumped. He didn't really shoot them a ton during his first two years, and then he, he shot 2.9 attempts per game um, as a junior. And just because you're not necessarily, as a team that's in the East, and that's looking to make noise now just because the Eastern Conference is so bad, uh, you're not necessarily going to get s- someone who can immediately contribute. You know, that, that, let's, that was that Malcolm Brogdon guy on the board at that point in the first round that you could have actually have taken? No, he wasn't. So I, I like this reach, and it's, it's not insurance against a bust for Thon Maker, but you have now these two, you know, forward center guys that, you swung for the fences on and maybe just by playing the odds, you're more likely now to hit on one of them. And if either of them or both of them just become these good to really good NBA players, you have this cost controlled asset on your hands now, and it makes it easier to flesh out the supporting cast around Giannis. Yeah. DJ Wilson will be interesting. He's the typical Milwaukee Bucks player. He's long. His wingspans, what, like seven, seven three something like that and so he's long he can play multiple multiple positions i'm not sure where he fits in especially if you if they're playing on keeping jabari and Giannis. 
he's kind of in that same mold. So maybe he provides some of that insurance for Jabari Parker if they let him go or if he walks. And so we'll see how that goes. He, as a Badger fan, I I watched Michigan quite a, quite a bit last year and, and DJ Wilson had the tendency to, to disappear in quite a few games. And so that part worries me is his inconsistency. I mean, he was a redshirt sophomore last year and his first year as a redshirt freshman, he only averaged like two, 2.7 points a game, it says here. And so that part worries me is that he just jumped onto the scene this year and was very inconsistent, but the Bucks must have seen something that they liked in him. And he does give them that versatility, that positionless basketball that Milwaukee seems to be moving towards more and more every year. So I think that part will be will be huge. I don't expect much from him this year. Uh, you know, he might be playing a lot with the Wisconsin herd. We'll see, but but he definitely he has a per- perimeter oriented game where he can he can handle the ball a little bit. He took a big step in that last year with his ball handling ability, and he should be able to take guys off the bounce a little bit too, especially maybe the bigger, slower footed power forwards. And so we'll see if he can develop his game to to be some of that, you know, matchup nightmare type player. Do you think he gets more playing time than expected because of the Jabari Parker injury right now? I don't think so because at, at that forward spot, the Bucks are still stacked. I mean, you can still have Hawes come in and step in that role. Toledovich can still come in and step in on that role. Um, I would just Middleton. like to point out that you used the word stacked and then followed it by naming Toledovich and Spencer Hawes. That's all I'm going to say. As far as stacked, because I, I see Wilson – well below those players but that's no, a good I get point it. it's just, you're, you're right i'm just wondering is it worth uh, the bucks are weird because they're straddling because of Giannis, who now we're going to get to you have to save uh the top seven nba player for last on this roster seven what do you have him as top five like one well that's uh, we're talking building blocks <laughs> there's probably i don't know that i'd trade i don't think there's a player in the league i'd trade him for if we're building a team if you're talking about just one year like yeah you still want LeBron, yeah you still want kd um and now I just totally lost my train of thought. So let's just go to to Giannis. So what do you actually have him as in the pantheon of NBA stars now? And I, I just I I wrote a I don't know what you want to call it. It was a deadline gamer story when the Bucks beat the Nets one night, and he had this like game that was kind of whatever, but at the same time like his line was absolutely ridiculous, and it kind of dawned on you like this guy can't even consistently shoot yet and he's talking about how he's gonna let it fly anyway and he's gonna possibly work out with Dirk Nowitzki which I think he did this summer or maybe he thought about I know Kristaps did Uh, he's so good already without that and he just reaches the rim at will I I was just so impressed with what he did last season and I don't know there will still be people that argue that he's not top 10 I'm closer to putting him in the top five than I am not putting him in the top five because he just seems like he's that damn good so is your question who's my where does he rank in the yeah, NBA? The that was my long roundabout round <laughs> way of asking you that question. So I think I got him. I'm just trying to think. LeBron, I got KD up there. Uh, Curry, Westbrook, Kawhi might be there. Harden, yeah. So I think is that seven or eight? Did I? How many players? Did I think it was about seven. I think that's fair. And I think you can make the case that he's higher. I just I think it's it's yeah. not unreasonable. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely up there. I think so. As a Bucks fan, I get a little uh, jealous when I hear the word unicorn being tossed around so recklessly. I feel like that's becoming one of the most overused terms in 
NBA today, everybody's the new unicorn. I mean, you got Porzingis as a unicorn, Towns as a unicorn, Jokic, you know, all these players. And so for me, I kind of get irritated with that because I think that Giannis is the only and the one true unicorn in the NBA. He can do everything. We've never seen a player like him before, and we don't know what he's going to become. He's only 22 years old, and so we have no idea what a finished product will look like. I mean, if he de- if he adds that three-point shot to his arsenal, he could become one of the greatest players to ever play. Even if he doesn't become, or even if he doesn't add that shot, he still might be, you know, a Hall of Famer. And so I think that he can do, you add in all those players I just mentioned, and he can do everything and more. He, on offense, he plays point guard, and then you switch to the defensive end, and he's roaming the lane, protecting the rim, and there's nobody else who can do that. And then next play on offense, he's running the pick and roll, facilitating for an assist. And then on defense, he's he can guard literally one through five. He might be one of the only players who can do a decent job. I mean, I'm not saying you want to match up on your point guard, but he can do a decent job on your point guard, and then he can go down on your center in the same possession and do a decent job as well. And you've seen plays where he'll swat shots off the backboard, grab it, go down the length of the court for a Euro step from half court and throw it down. And so <laughs> I, th- I think that I think that he's one of the only players in the NBA who can do, you know, have that wide array of skills. He's basically the only player. It's not unfair to say that. There are two things that I think kind of he would be, and he is in this class of his own, but I think why there are other members of this unicorn discussion is that it was kind of meant to at first at least to just talk be talking about bigs and i don't know when it first came out that Giannis had had the growth spurt to where he was basically seven foot uh he also doesn't shoot threes or a lot of threes and he doesn't make them at a high clip which i also think was a requirement of that initial definition and i also just think that all these bigs uh, came into the league basically at the same time uh, when you look at Jokic and Turner and Kristaps and Towns and even Joel Embiid, who was a unicorn that the NBA didn't know it had, those to me are the the six, the five or six unicorns, whether you want to put Miles Turner in there or not. But I could Giannis Antetokounmpo is the crowning one, and I, I think he does need need to shoot more threes and then obviously make more threes for it to to really mean more than it does right now. But it's scary bordering on terrifying how good he is and what you could say about his career arc if we make the assumption that, hey, this guy's always going to be a below-average to demonstratively below-average three-point shooter. He's just so good in every other area where you can play him at the 1-5, to five, and you don't want him necessarily playing too much 5 because he's going to have to encounter these like bigger, burlier guys who, who might knock him around because he's still so lean. But the Bucks used him basically. There was a point where he was – he contested more shots at the rim than anybody on the team for like the first half of the season or something. It ended up not being him, but he was close. So the fact that you can use him in just so many different ways, and as you said, he shimmies between so many different functions, it's it's absolutely just incredible. And you, you talk about the Bucks making these reaches and, and swinging for the fences with DJ Wilson and Thon Maker. They have no reason not to after the way that Giannis has turned out. Yeah, that is a franchise-altering draft pick right there. And, and who... Giannis right now he's so he's been in the league for four years he's improved his points per game every year his blocks his steals his assists his rebounds I mean every single year for four years so who does that and I don't know if that's ever been done to the point that Giannis has done it in his short career and everyone's expecting him to take yet another leap because there's still so much more room for him to grow I mean 20 
averaging more than 23 points per game next year seems completely doable and realistic for him. They, and you wrote this piece for NBA Math. If we're looking at who's going to oh, take... Oh, I did? What? You're going to go on the, the, heir to the heir to the throne? Yeah, absolutely. Was that not you? No, that was me. Yeah, was you, said, you, said, you said you sounded shocked. So, um, yes, that was you for everyone. I was right. Uh, you wrote the, the heir to the throne piece on NBA Math, and... I don't maybe because people haven't necessarily said it that frequently. It's just there is no one better position to take that best player in the league thrown from LeBron. And it's whether you want to argue that there might be this one year window where it's Kwai or Kevin Durant. Giannis is going to be entering not even the heart of his prime by the time LeBron, we assume, officially starts to fade if that ever happens. Uh, and looking at all he does. And, and how hard it's going to be to find someone who does even close to as much as he can. You look two, three, four years down the line, I don't know who else you would pick to be the best player in the league if we're operating under the assumption that it's not LeBron. Yeah, he's got to be right up there because, I mean, he's far from a finished product. I think there are other good candidates for sure. Uh, I know a lot of people were talking about Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant, by the time LeBron's you know, ready to give up that title will be on the other side of 30. And so I think that he'll hold that title for a, a short period of time because I love Kevin Durant in the game, in his game. But I don't think that his reign will be very long until he's moving, you know, into his mid-30s and these younger players are ready to, to step up and take that next step. The only remote threat to him, and I just, it, it might be quiet, and I don't necessarily think that he's a threat. Quiet Leonard is spectacular, but just because of how much else Giannis does on offense, Kawhi Leonard will never be asked to basically run the offense, even if he's this ISO-heavy scorer, even if he continues to improve as a playmaker. And the Spurs are never going to be like, hey, go and defend fives. They're, they barely even want him at the four. The tough part about guys like Leonard and Jimmy Butler are they made their money on the defensive end, locking down superstars, right? And now that they have this great offensive game, I feel like that's way too much to ask of any player to go and be the primary go-to scorer on offense and then all of a sudden flip and you got to lock down the other team's primary uh, offensive playmaker. And so that, that's just a lot. You can really you can do that for spurts of the game, but for long period, long stretches. And so for me, that takes away some of what makes Leonard so great is he's going to have to drop down you know, to the second, third offensive option in order for him to preserve his, his health and to, to stay... Um, you know, preserve his stamina for the offensive end or, or vice versa. If they want him to lock down the defensive on the defensive end, they're going to have to preserve him on offense. And so with Giannis, you can put him at that center spot, let him roam the rim and not have to work as hard as Leonard would do on the perimeter, trying to guard James Harden or whoever. So for me personally, that just takes it down a little bit is it's hard for a guy like Leonard or Jimmy Butler to do that consistently for 35 minutes a night where they're the stud on offense and defense. Now you you as a Bucks fan had to be have to be feeling about the do we call it a pending Kyrie Irving trade for for two reasons just because one the Bucks and you can correct me if I'm wrong if you would have wanted Kyrie Irving on the Bucks but one you don't get Kyrie Irving which probably makes the Bucks more intriguing if better during the playoffs but I want Middleton and Brogdon in that pick instead of Irving if I'm Milwaukee but two it it kind of helps quell because it was Boston that acquired Irving and gave up a Nets pick in the process. Maybe we could stop with the whole like 
teams are targeting Giannis already because he's on that four-year deal and they the Bucks know that they're on the clock and it's not just Boston obviously and clearly the Nets pick would have turned into a player by the time the Bucks would even start thinking about Atentacumbo but just to kind of remove that team that would be most associated with just making an offer should the Bucks get off to a slow start or something that has to give you some semblance of peace because that talk jumped the gun to begin with uh and it's just I, I don't know how you feel about it or whether you would worry about that far in advance because maybe it's a thing where now you have two years and then they would look to shop him if nothing happens but I, I thought you know you talk about jumping the gun or you talk about Anthony Davis talk who while under contract at least his team has like failed him time and time again when he's been at a superstar level Giannis is entering his third season arguably only a second really playing at that type of level yeah as far as Kyrie Irving goes I think that it would have been nice for Milwaukee to get him but at what price you can only you know how much are they going to sacrifice they didn't have a lot of depth so if that rumor was true where it was Brogdon Middleton and a first then who do you start at shooting guard does that leave then you're going to put Rashad Vaughn in your starting lineup or you're going to put (laughs) Delhi in your starting lineup you know, and so that would be a huge hole. They don't have any money to go out and sign somebody. And so that that would be, you know, a big area of concern if they're going to give up two of their rotational players, especially if they're perimeter rotational players, which are at a premium for Milwaukee. That would be a big concern. And as far as Cleveland or Boston moves go, I mean, it's hard to concern yourselves with the other teams when for Milwaukee, the biggest factor that that's going to affect their play is their internal improvement. If they're, if they're young guys or if their guys are already on their roster, don't improve, then they shouldn't be worrying. They have no reason to worry about the Boston's cause they're never going to get there. And so that Kyrie trade only comes into play. If Giannis continues to take a step, if Brogdon, if Thon, if Middleton, if they can all take that step as a team. And so I think that's where the players and as fans, we want to get caught up in all this stuff, but especially for this Bucks team who is so uh, strapped with the salary, with the salary cap, that they need to focus on the internal improvement and what Milwaukee is doing instead of focusing on what the Clevelands and Bostons are doing of the NBA. That's a really good point, and this will be the last question before we get to the actual season projection. Uh, and since this doesn't really have to do with next season specifically, the summer of 2018 might be their best shot to carve out substantial cap space for a while just because you don't have to worry about paying Middleton you could technically renounce Jabari Parker if you wanted to or maybe now because he's been injured you're able to get him for cheap is this a team that you could see one they're in the luxury tax now so do you see them staying there Uh, and two could you see this being a team knowing that they have a Tentacumbo could potentially appeal to free agents you have Greg Monroe you have Spencer off coming off the books could you see them going kind of all in or close to all in and really trying to sweeten the pot to get rid of two to three of Delhi Henson and, and Toledovich to really make that push? I, I see that the only way they're going to be able to get rid of, especially a player like Henson, is to throw in a first rounder. Toledovich, unless he has this great rebound year where he shoots a light out, you're probably going to have to throw in another first rounder to get rid of him. I mean, unless they're going to really get creative and attach him and move somebody like uh, Malcolm Brogdon or, you know, one of their younger players, there's no way to get out of those contracts, especially when teams can go out and sign like, uh, uh, you know, probably equally 
efficient center for minimum right now. And so I just don't see any teams willing to take those contracts on without getting significant contributions back from Milwaukee. And for a small market team who is strapped, who is uh, capped with money, it's those first rounders are where they're going to, you know, make their money. And so first rounders are probably the most efficient contracts in the league, especially if you're picking middle to late first round, or I guess any place in the first round, really, especially if you hit, you get four years of a really reasonable salary. And so those contracts are very, very valuable. So I'd hate to see them give up anything like that. I mean, I think their best case is, is to keep them and hopefully that they get hope that they get some production out of those players somewhere down the road. The other best bet might be to hope that Toledovic plays well enough to maybe some teams just are willing to absorb him for the final year of his deal next year. Mm-hmm. Or I, I still think Henson could be that guy that rebounds his value to where you don't have to sweeten it with a first round pick. You know what? This is just an example, but Nerlens Noel just signed his qualifying offer. Dallas is rebuilding, but might need a center. You know, Henson's not going to be too expensive for the final two years of his deal. If he has a good year and Noel walks because he gets a better offer from someone else, which is, as of now, tough to find because of the way the center market is. So if you get to a point where one of those guys can be dealt without having to include this huge sweetener, and then maybe you're, you're looking at it, you can get rid of a second contract by including that first-round prospect, uh, that's when things would start to get interesting for me. And I do think at that point you would have to look at it because as we're going to talk about now, they might wind up, I think you can argue, the two to six spots in the East are still very fluid, but you're – you still don't look like you're going to catch the team that LeBron's on. I don't think even though I'm pretty low on the Celtics after the Kyrie trade, that that's a team that you're necessarily going to get past. So that might have to be the summer where you really make a move because you do have to worry about paying Brogdon eventually and Middleton. Uh, so And you know Parker's contract's coming up, but you know he's going to either be cheaper, you can get rid of him now, Monroe's coming off the books, all that stuff. And three years is a long time to have left on Giannis's deal, but you're essentially at two years before it becomes a problem. So I do think it would be something they have to look at unless, as you said, and that was a great point, if it looks like you're all of a sudden getting something out of Vaughn, if you're getting great value out of Brown, or if it looks like Maker is hit, or maybe it looks like DJ Wilson is hit because he got more minutes since Thon wasn't playing well, uh, that's perhaps when you would be more inclined and, and more justified in staying the course. Yeah, they'll have a lot of options here. Henson's deal is descending, so he gets paid, you know, ten point. I think almost ten and a half million this year, and then next year it drops down to nine and a half. And so that is one thing I guess that they kind of have going for him. And and Henson has shown. I mean, he did earn the contract, or earn might be too nice of a word, but he was given the contract for a reason. And so it just takes one team out there, like the Hornets with Plumlee. They liked Plumlee. They tried to sign him to a qualifying or uh, yeah, qualifying offer last year, and so it just takes one team to like a player, and, and then that player might be movable. So can I get a pessimistic and optimistic projection for the Bucks next season? Where do you see their worst case where do you see their worst case scenario being and where do you see their best case relative to let's just say the rest of the Eastern Conference? Are we talking about like if everyone stays healthy, pessimistic? You want uh I would just assume, yeah, so you assume this is the roster, it's relatively healthy, uh, you, you know, you're dealing with the Jabari Parker stuff, but just factoring in as you look at this roster now and, and not kind of predicting any, like, huge swings uh, one way or the other, whether it's bad or good from a player. 
I would say pessimist would be like 40, 41 wins right around there. Um, I can, I could see them taking a step down. They got hot at the right time, right at the end of the year last year and made a nice run. The East has gotten worse this year, but if those players don't take those steps or if Delhi sucks again or Vladovic sucks again, then I could see them ending up again with 40, 42 wins because they don't have Beasley, who was a big part of their rotation last year. Jason Terry is still out there. Hopefully he comes back, but if he doesn't, that's another veteran presence that you're losing. And the last time Milwaukee lost a couple of veteran leaders was when Jared Dudley left and Zaza Pachulia left, and, and they took a step down that year. So... So I could see their worst case being like right around 540, 41 wins. What do you have? What would be your optimistic um, best case it? scenario? I mean, I'd love to say something like 50 wins, but I just don't know if that's if that's realistic. The, I don't see them as a 50 win team, but the East is so bad is that you just hope that they rack up wins against the crappy teams in the East. So, I mean. If they're in the West, we'd be talking, you know, maybe they'd be battling for like the seventh or eighth seed. But out in the East, I'm going to say best case is going to be like 47, 48 wins. Wow, that's that's so what would you so what would your actual prediction be then? I have them as a 46 to 47 win team next year, maybe 45. That two that two to three win range is where I just have their sweet middle. So you kind of see them improving by just what two or three victories then? I would see them. I think forty-six is a fair number. Uh, that's that'd be a four-game win in the win column. So, yeah, I think that would be that would be a fair number with the internal improvement combined with with the crappy East. I think that would be probably right where, and that would maybe put them in what like a three or a four seed, something like that in the East. It gets interesting because the Raptors, I, are probably worse overall. I think after their off season, but they'll still be right there the Wizards will still be right there the Celtics and Cavaliers will both be right there Uh, you kind of the Pacers I don't think are going to be good the Bulls are going to be terrible the Hawks are going to be terrible but you do have to worry a little bit I'm not high on the Pistons but I do think you have to worry a little bit about the Heat and the Hornets kind of improving measurably Mm -hmm. and that might be where the scare comes in but I I could talk myself into Milwaukee being the second or third best team in the East certainly the third yeah, I think Boston and Cleveland are going to be 1-2, regardless of how this trade works out. And then I could see Milwaukee battling with, with the Wizards and the Raptors for that 3-4-5, or maybe even the Hornets up there. Um, I mean, best as a Bucks fan, it, best case would be that they can pull out a few of those victories that they lost last year and, and flip, the script, flip the script to push more 47-48 wins. But I definitely see them in that battle for, for home court in the first round. And I think, I mean, best case for them is that they get into the second round of the playoffs. We know that they probably won't, wouldn't go much farther than that, especially if they're seeing Boston or if they're seeing the Cavs. But just having that experience with this young team would be huge. I mean, that's that's a huge confidence booster, especially for Giannis and, and Malcolm Brogdon and Thon and all these players to win a playoff series and kind of break through that ice and, and to get some more of that experience. So I think that would be awesome if this team can – can pull out a, a first-round playoff victory. They would give Boston fits in the playoffs because you don't have to worry necessarily about putting out good rebounding lineups against Boston. That that would be a fun playoff matchup if we got it. So we're both in agreement then. Definitely a playoff team, though. No hedging here. They will be in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. I don't see a way that they would really drop out of it. Um, Giannis is too I mean, dang good. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to carry them regardless to that playoffs, I think, because... 
who's going to be the AC in the playoffs? Maybe maybe the Sixers, the Pistons, Heat kind of battling. So yeah, I think that they're definitely a step above above those teams. Well, there you have it. That was our preview of the 2017-2018 Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I want to thank Brian for hopping on. I hope you had a good time, even though it took us four to five tries. To, excuse me, even though it took me four <laughs> to five tries to get this right. Um, if you want to talk to Brian about his thoughts on the Bucks, you can get at him at Brian Sampson MBA on Twitter. It is spelt exactly like it sounds. He is, again, a national writer for our own NBA math, and he is also a co-expert at the Dunking with Wolves blog for Fansided. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can get at Andy, at Andy Bailey, also spelled like it sounds. Please do follow NBA Math at NBA underscore math. You can get at us at the at Hardwood Knox podcast uh, official handle as well. And if you're listening to this, we would love it if you could give us some ratings and throw us some comments uh, and also subscribe on iTunes. And because I am here solo, there will be no shout out to Ben Udre like Andy likes to sneak in. So until next time. Wherever you go, however you go. For energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Wherever you go, however you go. For energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.